Welcome to the Being Human UT podcast, where Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas will discuss issues relative to the humanities and technology at Utah Tech University. And now your hosts for Being Human UT podcast, Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Jasmine. I'm Jim Hindigas. And we are honored to have a very special guest on our podcast today. Over the years, two years now, we've been doing this almost two years. We're getting to the end of our second year. And over those two years, we've had some really, really great guests, experts in fields that are of interest to us and hopefully to our listeners. But today, we're going to kind of look inward a little bit. And my special guest is Jim Hendigas. I thought you were going to do this build up where it's just like, but now it's the best guest that we've ever had. <laughs> but now it's feeling like, oh, we didn't find anybody, so we're going to talk to Jim. No, no. The first <laughs> the first option, the best guest we've yeah, had but, yet, oh. because you're going to be talking about, you know, we, we talked in the preparation for this, that this might be a little bit different than some of the themes that we've looked at up to this point, because um, to let the listeners know, we're going to be talking about Jim's book, part-time drummer and the kind of debate that rages about self-publishing or um, traditional publishing and maybe it rages in our field in our area more than in other places but in going through your book and reading parts of it a lot of the issues that we've been talking about come up again and again and I'm going to hopefully get to some of those things as I talk to you a little bit about um, this book but I think it's a great topic for us to talk about and to reflect on what it is that we're doing as educators, what it is that we're doing as human beings in the world that we live in right now. Your, your book certainly um, has a specific relevance to a moment, a moment in being an educator, a moment in time in being an educator, but also a moment in time in trying to live your best life as I was reading through a lot of that message came to me. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So the book that I'm talking about by Jim Hendigas is um, part-time drummer. And then the subtitle, um, learning on different stages, which is kind of a joke. Oh, not a joke, uh, a, a pun. <laughs> yeah. My book's not a joke. Jim. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> learning on different stages because of the fact that you, perform as a drummer. So mm -hmm. tell us about um, the genesis of the book and um, why it is you decided to do this. Well, thank you, Randy. I, like a lot of us, I had ideas floating around my head of like, well, I'm going to write a book about that. And then I just never did. And it was con this constant frustration. I, I do think writing, the act of writing is sort of this sense of tension and that tension pushes one to do something about that tension. You know, I, I've got all these thoughts, these ideas, but they're not doing anything. Um, I, I'm not doing anything with them. Um, I, I kind of felt for years that you go to conferences and I have these unfinished papers, unfinished journal articles that I go, well, that was a good idea. And I talked f about it for 20 minutes and I never did anything with it. So I, I felt finally that I, I, I wanted to write this book. I've been wanting to write this book for a very long time because as you, you, as you read in there, I mean, drums have been very influential in my life 
They've been this force that has made me think about how I learn, has forced me in, a, in sometimes a frustrating way to to learn in a, a very a, a particular way. And, and so th this book just sort of came out just finally out of frustration that I, I finally did it. And I mean, that goes into the self-publishing realm as well. I, I, there was a certain degree of impatience <laughs> that, that one embraces, I think, when you, you self-publish. But, um, you know, it, it, just the, the very specific origin of this book is that I, I went to a drum camp which is actually the, one of the last things I talk about, the, the final chapter. And I, I had this experience of thinking about how I am a learner. And I mean, I'm 44, I'm a professor, and I, I finally realized, okay, well, this, this stress that I'm experiencing at a drum camp, it really also demonstrates all the things that I've learned up until this point as an educator. So I, I went to this drum camp and I actually talked to a couple people um, about it and it just sort of came about that, well, I should write it. I should write the book. And for years and years you say, I'm going to write that book. And then you just never do. And so I just, I finally did. I just said, I'm just going to write the book. And yeah, that, that's, that's the, I don't know, exciting or not exciting uh, explanation for why it came about. Well, and in your discussion there, I think um, you get the most, best of both worlds in the creation of this book because you talked about uh, an experience, you know, that I certainly have had similar experience, this idea of coming up with a presentation for an academic conference and having a good idea and thinking, yeah, maybe this can turn into a, a journal article, but then it doesn't. But you do a good job in this book of blending the academic and your professional experiences with personal experiences too and so you get to enhance that and I really like the way that you blended um, quotations from some scholars about education you know one of the ones that sticks in my mind is you know this idea of building a strong foundation right that if we if we rush to have our students learn something and we don't really allow them to internalize it over time, then that foundation that we create is kind of shaky, right? You know, this, this need for immediate, I'll say it, I'll say the word, immediate assessable results. And if you can't assess it, right, we, we've both heard the, the phrase, if it can't be assessed at the end of 15 weeks of class, then it didn't happen. You know, you kind of challenge that idea here. So you take those scholars, you say, here's what they say, which is important. But then you do a good job of blending it into personal experiences that you've had. So did you feel as though this were something different than just writing a paper for four C's? It was because I felt like it was on my own terms. I didn't feel like I needed to. I mean, that in... And speaking of self-publishing, I, I finally embraced that after a, a long time of feeling like this is going to be a lesser project because I self-publish it. You know, it, it, that, you know, it didn't have to go through all these gateways. It didn't have to go through all of this peer review um, that it's going to be lesser. It's just, but I felt like 
because I could say it on my own terms. And in the end, when I created it, I, I thought, well, this is what I would truly say. I didn't have to doctor it or, or make it something that would appease a certain body. I, I, this was my experience. And so in, in some ways I, I felt like I got a truer result out of self-publishing. And I also, um, I think I, when I look back on it, I go, well, this could have easily gone through a publisher. It, you know, it's, it's got a couple, <laughs> the agonizing thing about putting a book together is that uh, no matter how many times you edit it, you'll always find something else that you, <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. missed out. Um, and, you know, a publisher might've had an extra comb through that, but you know, overall, I, I, I felt like it, it, it freed me up to be able to say all the things that I wanted to say, but I, I still felt like it landed on an academic platform. And, you know, it's something that, that we've talked about a lot in this pad, podcast is that I'm constantly thinking back on the fact that we look at education as something that we're pushing people through uh, just to get them to this space. And, and I always think back and go, why don't we look at the journey and the fact that it takes time to learn and it, the, the point of all of it isn't necessarily to get to this final destination. The point of it is to go, wow, look at all the things that I've accomplished, how I've transformed myself at this state. And I think about that, especially in higher education. And even I talk about it in education in general is that we, we, you know, we have these levels that we, we give people. Uh, you're in 10th grade, you're in 11th grade, you're in 12th grade, you're a freshman, you're a sophomore, you're a junior, you're a senior, you're graduating. Grad people are graduating in a couple of weeks. And, and I just think to myself how, I mean, it makes us feel good about the learning process, but it is kind of silly in the fact that it doesn't matter whether you're in ninth grade or a senior in college, you're on a particular learning journey that's taking you to a certain spot the goal isn't necessarily to be a senior in college. The goal is to, I mean, the big statement that I make in the book is the goal is sort of to be useful in your space and to, I mean, that's what I, I go to work every day feeling like that's what I'm doing as an educator is I'm making someone useful in this world that I, I'm inspiring them. And I, I definitely feel like that in a writing course where if you're a stronger communicator, a stronger writer, that you you will be useful in whatever field that you go into. So it it's, you know, I I felt like the book was it it turned into something that I wanted it to turn into, but I also felt, um, you know, I mean, it was it was also an interesting journey for me because a lot of it was just new. It, it, like I said earlier, it. it it was this tension of I need to finally do it. And now doing it, I'm going, wow, I've never done this before. So it was, there was a lot of uncomfortable moments too in the creation of it, just in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you bring up a couple of, uh, well, me several key points, I think, in, in, in what you just said that, that absolutely is reflected in the book. And you, you talk about, you know, your own experience, but at the same time, in service of this, this message that you have. And the one that you, you just mentioned that also stuck with me with the book is this commitment to what at this institution we do and at what many other institutions of higher education do. The thing that, you know, maybe over the years we've heard the most complaints about from our students, or at least the most consistent complaint is, 
you know, why can't I just get into those classes that are going to train me for my job and make me proficient in that one area that I already know I want to go into? These general education classes, these exploration classes, the kinds of things that shouldn't be seen or viewed as punishment that students have to go through, but as rewards and as potential pathways that help them expand in areas maybe that they didn't even realize they needed to expand in. You know, we always talk about critical thinking. We talk about problem solving. We talk about, you know, as far as you and I teaching, you know, the, the incredible power that comes with being able to express yourself powerfully and effectively in writing. All that happens in a space that we call, for lack of a better term, general education. And I think one of the things that we, you know, we talk about tensions and, and possibilities, potential in this podcast. That's what our theme is all about, right? General education is a, a, a stage on which that can take place. We need to continually remind people, not because it's what gives us a job, that you know, general education is important, but but because that exploration component and that broadening of our students into, like you say, better human beings, for lack of a, a better definition, is so vital and so important. And I like the way in your book you link that to your own experience, but also to drumming. And the fact that at different points in your life, you're at different levels as far as your drumming goes. And so that I find very fascinating. Do you share with your students ever some of your experiences and challenging challenges as a drummer? I, I do. Uh, um, they do. I mean, I use it as kind of a trick at times. <laughs> they, they, they sort of perk up if I move away from sentence fragments to talk about rock drumming um they they sort of wake up a little bit and that 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 is a, a nice little <laughs> trick that i could use that'd be like well let me show you a couple of videos about drummers and then all of a sudden you know they they pull themselves away from whatever it is whether they're distracted with a computer that i i they promise me that, that they're taking notes on, <laughs> but I, who knows what they're doing on that computer. Could, could be doing anything. Could be doing anything. Uh, and so the, I do use it. And I mean, you bring up this idea of GE and it, it's true. I, I, I as I have always learned through analogy. I've always learned of, well, if I'm not getting it through this one concept, maybe let's see if this concept compares to this other concept. Or applying it to an example. I mean, we we think about those two ideas when when we're explaining an idea. We either will compare it to another idea, or we will use a, a specific example. And so, I, I with the drumming. I mean, I don't know if I say this explicitly in the book, but I mean, it is sort of it's all analogy. It's all it's this uh, comparative um, activity that I do to understand how I learn and how. I, I'm growing as, as an individual in society. And, and so I, I think about the GE conversation and the idea that, you know, a, a, a student might say, why would I take a percussion class? That's not useful to my 
my professional goals. Like that's not something that, that would help me. Like I, I just need all these very specific courses that are going to go towards my very specific degree. Why would I take an art class? Why would I take all of these cor- a philosophy course? Why would I take these GE courses? And I think the subtext for my book is that, I mean, drumming, which is not, I think I said in the book at one point, I mean, I really have earned very little money from drumming itself. I think it's at best I've earned enough money to pay for some of the equipment, but not all of it. I mean, I think the big joke is, uh, and now I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this joke, but a musician is someone who piles, you know, $5,000 worth of equipment in a, $300 vehicle, um, and goes to a gig to get paid $50. Uh, it's something like that where, you know, a musician life isn't always a financially lucrative life. And so it would almost be silly in that pragmatic idea to go, why would you, why would you even pursue the idea of, um, of, of being a musician on this level when you could be, you know, uh, an accountant, you could be a biologist, you could be you know, an engineer. For me, you know, I, I felt like the more I was exposed to, the more the analogy that I, I encountered, the more I could go, okay, well, this is kind of like this piece of art. This is kind of like this philosophical principle. The more I could understand myself and more I could, I could be a stronger learner. I could grow as someone to contribute to society. And so the drumming is just, I mean, it's a major example in my life, but that's, what I want to tell students is go and take that GE course and it could change your life. Uh, a, a, a small example, just a one GE course that, I mean, I was already a huge fan of music, but I took a GE course on jazz history and uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to go into music at that point. I was pretty sold on the English major and, um, and I wasn't going to go into history but I thought it was an interesting course. I liked music and I was unfamiliar with jazz. And that course, I mean, it blew my mind as far as all the, the history behind jazz, because you know, anybody who knows a lot about jazz knows that it's, it's in, intertwined with American history. It's intertwined with, and, and it, there's so much that um, not only impacts us socially in American history, but it also is, I mean, it's, it's an amazing art form of how improvisational it is. And, you know, taking that particular course was not directly useful to my degree. Like if you checked a bunch of boxes and said that, why did you take that jazz course? You could have just taken more like uh, structure of English language because that was what I was going towards. But when I understood about jazz and then I, I took American literature courses and I, could, I understood that context. You know, I understood the context of, of how to, um, you know, it, if, uh, for instance, I mean, I'm reading F. Scott Fitzgerald and I understand the music that's being played and the racial dynamics that, that they're being talked about and that. And so it's only broadening my understanding of the story and it's only broadening my learning. And I would say for someone who is even not in literature, you're like, well, that's low hanging fruit, Jim. Uh, if you're, for instance, in a social, uh, say you're a social worker or, or going into counseling or, or um, understanding the context of jazz, understanding social 
issues that are that are in American culture, I mean, it will only broaden your interaction with other, your audience members, your um, the people you're serving. Uh, same sort of thing with any health sciences. I mean, any field that our students would be going into that they're going into because they feel like it's a lucrative career would benefit from their understanding of other human beings. And uh, that's just sometimes lost. <laughs> we, we lose that because we, we just want to get to the end goal, which, you know, going to my book, I mean, that's the main thing that I, I kind of ran against is it's not, it's not that end, it's not the finish line that you need to focus on in education. It's what am I doing in these phases and looking at it, I guess, in a holistic way of what am I, how am I growing as a particular person to become useful in that particular area that I'm, I'm wanting to contribute in society. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that kind of connects with one of the quotations that I um, took from the book that I wanted to kind of put out there and see what you have to say about it. Because you break your book down into to, to five chapters. You talk about quality, repetition, humility, and you talk within that chapter about the joy of humility, which I think maybe is something that would seem not, <laughs> would seem strange to uh -huh. some people. And then service and community. But you say in the introduction, you say a quality drummer knows um, how they can uh, how they can be useful at their current skill level, while knowing um, how to progress in their playing to reach new stages in the future. And when I read that quotation, I thought, "Wow, that's a pretty good piece of advice for living your life." Right? Mm -hmm. That we all kind of find ourselves aspiring to something, finding ourselves not being necessarily where we want to be, you know, ultimately, but at the same time, wanting to be as useful as possible at the level that we find ourselves at currently. So do you approach your academic teaching career with that kind of philosophy in mind? I, I do. I, I think it's, it's part of it is just sort of an exercise in contentment for me. And hopefully it would be helpful to other people. I, you know, I, I'm just as guilty as anybody else of thinking I'm just not good enough. I'm not at this phase. I'm not, you know, and, and we, we've even talked about in this podcast sort of how teaching can be an insatiable career that you always feel like you could be better. You could always be a stronger teacher. And so I, I was always guilty. And as, as a drummer as well, I mean, there's a certain point where I'll be sitting on the drum set and I'll be like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty awesome. And then I just, all I need to do is just go online for a few minutes and find out that there are so many other drummers out there that are so much better than I am. And, um, measuring that idea on, on what does better look like? Oh, well, they're faster. They're more coordinated. They're, they, they play, they, you know, they play more accurately than I do. But going back to, you know, part of any exercise in writing is reflecting on where I'm at and sort of therapy for myself. It, that, that quote that you bring up, I mean, it, it's a statement to everybody, but it's a statement to myself to say, what can I do right now where I'm at to be the, the most useful? 
Um, for drumming, it, it it's actually a really funny instrument because, I mean, like a lot of musical instruments, if you just know a little bit about it, you can play. You know, um, I, I, I'm not really that familiar with playing. I, tr I talked about it in the book. I, I tried guitar for one hot minute and I just didn't like it. But I know that if you know a couple chords and you can shift from chords, you can play some rock music. You can play some basic music and you can, you can, I find that, that music is nice because it will reward you in small, you know, levels just so you feel like you can hang on. I might, I mean, a lot of things can do that. It, um, with, with basketball, you play basketball, like it, you know, you, you don't have to be an NBA player to make a basket. And so you're right. like, oh, I made a basket. Like it's, it's an exciting, small reward. I can play it. I can do it. There's the get to this certain level is, is, is quite an accomplishment with drums. Um, you know, I've taught a couple people how to play on and I just show them, okay, you just need to break into this simple backbeat, which I'm going to auditorily, maybe <laughs> this isn't a good idea, but I'll explain um, auditorily what this, this beat. And it's just like a boom, catch, boom, catch, boom. If you know how to do that, which is typically it, I'll go into some, some music speak. Um, it's eighth notes on your right hand on the, the, um, the hi-hat. So it's one and two and three and four and, and then the kick pedal, your right foot would be on the one, one and two and the one and three. So one and two three and then the two and the four you're hitting with your left hand on the snare that is a, a beat that will get you through i mean i'm i don't know the exact statistic but i uh, more than 50 percent of rock music is that beat and so you, uh, I'm, i think a lot of people think of like acdc and the fact that acdc is a pretty basic rock backbeat it's just you know something like back in black is just a, a pretty that's a pretty simple backbeat. And if a drummer can learn that, they can serve a musical situation for a very, for, for many songs. You know, there, there are bands out there like Rush where you're like, well, you're going to have to learn a little bit more to get to that uh, level. But for the most part, and, and for popular music, you know, playing in my cover band, most popular music is pretty basic to play uh, on the drum set. You know, the it, it's funny, but I mean, progressive rock isn't really a popular thing. Like people don't go like, yeah, played like traffic and yes. Like they go, no, like I want to hear ACDC. I want to hear Tom Petty. I want to hear something that I that has a real simple backbeat. And so for a drummer, it, you you realize, okay, I can play this. I really wish that I could play this, but I, 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 I can do this right now and I can do that, which is exciting. It, I can, I can play this particular thing as, as a teacher, you know, there are certain weaknesses that I have and I want to improve upon them, but sometimes just walking into the classroom going, well, I know I can do this and this is my strength that that's a lot more comforting for me and hopefully for other people <laughs> that you just, you can dwell on the things you can do and that you know, doesn't diminish that you want to accomplish certain goals, but it also will help you, you find a sense of relief. You're always dwelling in what you can't do and what you haven't reached yet. You know, you're always going to be in this dissatisfied space. And 
Um, I mean, believe me, and I know this is probably the case with a lot of things, but with drumming, I think it's always existing in a dissatisfied space. <laughs> you're, you're always going to be, someone's always going to be better than you. And, uh, you know, when I went to this drum camp, uh, the guy that, um, that I, I credit, name's Mike Johnston, and he's a really, really good drummer. And just being in front of him, watching him drum, it's, it's just a reminder of, well, I'm never going to be that good. And it's not, that's not a defeatist viewpoint. That's more of a, I, I, I got to do other things in the day. I got to take care of my kids. I got to go to, you know, my job. I have to teach. I have to go to committee meetings and I don't have the time to devote to this instrument to get myself to that level, but it's, it's okay. I'm still really excited to learn even a really basic um, drumming from from this guy, so it, it 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 it's a lot of therapy. Just like anybody else writing a book, there's a lot of therapy of like, Jim, I'm going to teach you through writing, and then hopefully someone else will get something out of it too. <laughs> wow, that's that's really yeah, that's great, and I think that's a great way of looking at things. And you you do mention you know basketball, knowing that I have a connection to it, and it's it's funny that you bring that up because. It's been a while um, since the group here on campus, um, since we've played really pre-COVID and we're trying to get that back uh, going again. And in fact, we are planning on playing tomorrow morning. A group of us are going to play early tomorrow morning. And last night I dreamt about playing pickup basketball. I dreamt about, you know, battling down low with somebody, you know, who I just was playing a pickup game against. And I woke up and I thought, I haven't thought about basketball, really playing basketball in a couple of years. And yet there it is. As soon as I know I'm doing it again, it's right back there in my mind. So it just kind of struck me as knowing how important that is to me. And I think that, you know, when you talk about your passion for drumming and you talk about the importance that it has in your life, I think that we can all find those kinds of things and I really like that attitude of there are people out there and whatever it is that you do passionately who are going to be better than you, but that doesn't have to be what it's all about. I'm going to be the best drummer. I'm going to be the best basketball player. You and I both know that's never going to happen for us, but at the same time we can draw a great deal of pleasure, a great deal of strength and learn things from the way we engage with these activities. The difference is um, I've never gotten paid to play basketball and I don't ever see anyone even offering me $50 to play basketball. So congratulations on, oh, on that. Thanks. <laughs> it's funny. I've reached this kind of realm where I, if for earlier on, I was a little sheepish about like, Oh, well it's okay. No, it's okay. I don't need to get paid for this. And now I'm like, Oh, if they're not offering us this amount, I don't know if it's worth our time. <laughs> and it's 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 how quickly you become a prima donna um, when, <laughs> when you do this. But I mean, it, it it's a rewarding experience to be paid for something. Um, and what what's actually kind of funny bringing it to the book is that you know I'm I'm still in this sort of sheepish realm where someone will say, oh well, you know, I need to buy the book, and I'm like, ah, oh, well, it's okay, you don't you don't need to. And then I'm like, well. But it's good. It'll make you feel good, and I eventually will make money off. <laughs> um, it, w w what I keep telling people is that it, 
what I'm going to use with any royalties of the book, I'm going to put into a savings account and it becomes another source of tension where I'm going to put this into something or into my next book fund. And then I'm like, okay, well, I've got this money sitting here. I have to go pursue another book. And so that that's how I've rationalized that. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you when you said that about basketball, First of all, I'm going to start with an apology to everybody who doesn't know this. I used to be in the basketball pickup uh, <laughs> um, game with Randy, and I, I intentionally I told him, I said, I have to swap this time out to devote to drums because I am much better at drums than I am at basketball. I was using basketball as sort of a cardio experience, and I was the one guy that we usually like, hey, let's play full court just because I couldn't shoot the ball and I just wanted to exercise and everybody else was like, let's play half court because we want to actually play. And so, but let me ask you this and because this is a question I keep asking people when they've, they've looked at the book is, well, so how has basketball influenced you as a teacher influenced you as a learner? I mean, how is that sort of piece of you, which is fairly unique? I mean, I, I didn't get into a, a, any discussions about, you know, entitlement or anything in the, in the book. But I mean, I do believe that people are unique because of their experiences. And so your experience with basketball is different than anybody else's experience with basketball because you've spent certain times watching certain people, certain teams, learn certain ways. You know, that is a unique uh, skill and a unique um experience that you have as a basketball player. So how has that influenced you as a learner, putting you on the spot? <laughs> well, I, I think my experience is similar to what you've been talking about. And that is, you know, once you realize the level that you are going to be at, um, it becomes finding the enjoyment of the game at that level and understanding your limitations, but also kind of reveling in the kinds of things that you do well. So for example, if I talk about my skill set in basketball, I feel as though one of my strengths, and this comes from the fact that, you know, as far as I know, there's no specific body type that makes a good drummer. When it comes to basketball, there are body types that are going to be significantly better than others. And, you know, being 5'10", makes it so that I'm not going to be, you know, somebody who my skill set is going up and dunking the ball, right? But over the years, I've developed into what I think is a, a pretty good passer. And I revel in, and, th and this is amazing. I don't think the 21-year-old me who thought, I'm going to do something with basketball, and one of the things you always have to do to get people to notice you in basketball is to score points. I don't think the 21-year-old me would have ever gotten more enjoyment out of a great pass as opposed to hitting a three-pointer on my own or hitting, you know, scoring myself. And that kind of attitude, I realized, kind of connects with what I do as a teacher, this idea of sharing what I have. Okay, here we are. We want to accomplish certain things. We want to help our students. And we've got a very brief time period to do that, right? We get our students for 15 weeks or less if we have them over the summer. And so using that, again, analogy, as you've talked about, passing on to them what I have, but also encouraging them to think in that way as well, that, you know, 
service to others can be something that we learn in a university environment using whatever it is that we're skillful at to help others, even if we get compensated for it, even if we're successful at it, that could be kind of a higher calling than just retaining the knowledge and getting to that point that we want to get to, like we were talking about earlier. So that's how I would, I would um, think about my basketball experience. One qualifier, and then I want to get into the um, traditional publishing and self-publishing is that as you get older, the people that you want to share your basketball abilities with, um, that group gets smaller and smaller. So one of the reasons why we're playing so early on a Saturday morning is because we're hoping that no students will be around. <laughs> None of the 20-year-olds will be around because the, the 30, 40, and 50-year-olds just kind of want to do their own thing at a certain speed and level that probably would be boring to the average 20-year-old. The youths are going to ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> in, in that context, yes. In that context, absolutely. Um, I do want to talk about um, self-publishing versus traditional publishing mm -hmm. because I think that topic, even if we don't get into it right away, but that topic revolves around technology and our ability to whatever, however you want to use that word, to publish, you know, in multiple platforms now. There's many ways that we can publish. There's many ways that we can get our voices out there. We're doing it right now in our podcast, but when it comes to content on the internet, you know, completely different than it was, you know, when you and I were undergraduates and, and when we were getting started in education. So there's so many, so many different ways that we can get our message out. But when it comes to writing books, there has the, traditional publishing has maintained a certain, not just hold on um, what gets published, but also has sort of set certain standards. And as I was kind of researching this and not researching it, but just hearing what other people say about it, you know, I realized we as academics have a completely different view of the difference between self-publishing and traditional publishing. Most people care about, should I self-publish or should I traditionally publish? Because the question they're asking is, how am I going to make the most money? We as academics don't ever think we're going to make too much money on our writing. We gravitate towards traditional publishing over self-publishing because of the um, credibility that it has, like you talked about, the peer review process, the editing process, it is considered more um, more established. It is considered more rigorous. It gives us a better reputation if we traditionally publish than if we self-publish, and that's what we are very concerned about. Some mm -hmm. academics, a handful of academics, rock star academics do make money off of their publications, but the vast majority of them do not. So um, with this in mind, tell me a little bit first about why you chose self-publishing, the self-publishing route, and then give us a little bit of the, the details about how you went about starting that process. Well, it, what you described, I mean, is, is definitely the thought process that I went into as an academic is that I just felt like this was... You know, for the longest time, I thought 
if I didn't do this traditional public publication, I, you know, this would be a waste of time. This would be something that, well, I mean, all I was thinking about was, well, yeah, I want this to be something that boosts my credibility, something that boosts myself as a, you know, I have this many books through this particular publisher. And so having that extra piece in there was, I was thinking about it only from the realm of, I I put a book together because I'm such an awesome academic (laughs) and not because I have necessarily something to say. It was just because I would be like, well, Jim's got like five books, you know, from this really, you know, fancy publisher. Um, I also, you know, was really nervous about feeling like a hypocrite in my classes that talk, I talk so much about the, the peer review process. You know, all of us in our writing classes will, will have a lesson on there about what does a credible source look like. And, you know, one of the key aspects of a credible source is that somebody else looked at it. You know, I always kind of joke about, well, you know, if your uncle writes a blog on the internet, that's a little less credible than somebody who went through a peer reviewed journal. <laughs> just a little bit. That's, so when we put the scale together, we think, well, if it's just published by, you know, somebody that had no one look over it and there's no sort of uh, filtering process, no vetting that went through it, you know, it, it's on the not credible category. And if it has gone through multiple eyes, it has has gone through and, and another organization has staked their reputation on you, then it, it's way more credible. <clears throat> um, and I had to wrestle with that when I was thinking about this. I actually had someone who I knew that had published um, uh, quite a few works finally sort of push me th- over um, into the dark side of self-publishing because I because uh, they said, oh, yeah, I self-published. I never thought that they did. And um, I'm not using their name because I just didn't ask their permission first. But um, it's, um, but that's their name's kind of irrelevant. I mean, there's someone that's very brilliant, and that they've come up with. Uh, they've published several self-published books, and so I was curious about it. I mean, I did try. I kind of dipped my finger in the the interest level of of publishers, and there were two things that kind of drew me away from the traditional publishing, and I think it's. Part of it's because of the industry morphing. Um, the, the the publishing industry, I don't think it's a secret that um, it's it's hurting a little bit now. Um, it's just there there it it's not as big of a giant as it used to be. Um, it, it's it's an industry that that instead of a you know like I mean I think it's a similar to a lot of industries like even maybe the music industry and the label industry. It's it's something that because we're living in a society that's so in some ways technologically egalitarian, it's that that I can there self-publishing as I'll talk about in a second is so easy to do. And it looks, I mean, if you look at this, you uh, probably would fool most people and think, well, this is just a book that went through a publisher. Like this isn't self-published. Um, I, I think the same thing to do with music. I mean, you could cut your own album with probably less than a thousand dollars worth of equipment, um, just some uh, you I don't know. You, if you have a laptop and a few microphones, you can cut an album, and it might even it sounds it will sound a whole lot better than some albums that were cut in the '60s and the '70s because of the technology. That I mean, 
the purist might say to you, but it didn't, you didn't use this particular microphone in this particular one, but still, I mean, the way in which the, uh, uh, you don't need a publisher to get your, your works out there. Um, I, what I saw was that the, the publishing industry sort of has shifted and I, I totally understand this is the way capitalism works. They're trying to only take on works that are going to bring them profit. Um, and, and I understand that completely. They want to survive. They want to. And so, you know, when I was approaching some publishers and, and looking into it, you know, there were different avenues that I could have published it through a, a traditional publisher that was mostly having to do with how would I get it to the most consumers. And at that point, and I completely understood, I felt like, well, you know what? Like, I, I just, I don't want to compromise what I have to say um, just to get it out there to make a profit necessarily. And, and so it's funny, like what you were talking about, this idea that we never really think about profit, but I think the publishing industry has to think about that a little bit more intently than they used to. And, and I completely understand that. Um, you know, they're not going to take on a bunch of works just as a gamble. They're, they're going to be like, how am I going to guarantee this is going to go into, you know, this, this is going to sell a large amount of copies. So I, I saw that and I also saw there were, there was another, uh, um, person that I know that does go through a publisher and I kind of saw from the, the outside what it took to appease that process. I mean, they, so I, I'm trying, but I, I, I don't have a huge social media presence and I know that that's kind of a, it's an obligation. It's an obligation to publish multiple times on social media to get your ideas out. It's an obligation to take speaking engagements that you might not want to take. It's an obligation to, to do all these, jump through these promotional hoops that I didn't necessarily want to do. And, and I just saw that and I went, you know what? It means a lot for me to get this book out more than it is to add another component and appease that component to be able to say, all right, well, the book needs to be like this. The book needs to be like this. And I, it, at a particular moment, I said to myself, it would mean a lot to have a sticker that said so-and-so publisher on there. But it, it almost, if I can subvert that, if I can do it on my own terms and get it out to people. And I mean, the, the amazing thing, turning the corner from why I didn't do traditional publishing to doing the self-publishing is that, I mean, it, it was amazing that the, when I was able to get it out there, there were just people that I knew that just said, awesome. I just went and got your book online. And uh, I'm, I, I can't avoid promoting this corporate giant, but I mean, it's, it's available on Amazon and, and Amazon has, has been a large part of it. And, um, and so for someone to go onto their phone and just type in part-time drummer. I usually don't have to type in part-time drummer in some version of my last name. That's probably how you're going to find it. Um, you can just have it delivered straight to your house. And it's amazing this day and age that it's, it's accessible. Um, I, I think even a few, probably a few decades ago, if I was to go in the self-publishing route, it probably looked more like investing a lot of my own personal money in getting a stack of my books that somebody else would have printed. And then I would just be sort of mailing it out to people, but having that mediator and, and I mean, really the self-publishing 
it was just so incredibly easy now. Um, I, I, I mean, the book itself was the hard part, writing the book and getting it to the place that I needed it to be. I had to do the own, my own editing of the margins and a lot of that, which is a lot of extra hassle. It was a good learning process, but somebody else would have done that in a traditional publishing um, uh, company. But then uh, it just turned into creating an account, uploading my book, and then saying, hey, go buy my book. And it, it, it was exciting for me that, that I was able to get my writing into other people's hands. And I mean, it, it's still a pretty shocking and, or I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it's still a, a little bit of a unreal experience for people to go, oh, like I read your book or, you know, I got your book or the last week I actually did a book signing, which was, was this really weird experience of going like, why do you need me to write? And I, even though I'm the type of person that will get anybody who created something to sign that, um, I, I, I felt the sheepish to asking other or having other people ask me, I'm like, Oh, you want me to sign it? But, but for me, I'm, I'm like, Oh, you know, if Randy, you, you just made a three pointer with that basketball. Could you sign that basketball? <laughs> So, so at the signing, did you feel like Larry Johnson at the opening of Dick's Sporting Goods here in St. George? Because <laughs> I know you went and got Larry Johnson's autograph. Just just for a backstory on that, uh, I collected baseball and basketball cards as a uh, young person. And uh, Larry Johnson, I had his rookie card. I was so excited. And so <laughs> when Larry Johnson, who was a UNLV alum, and so he kind of made a circuit around here, um, I was really excited to get him to to sign my my his rookie card for me. So yeah, it was it was. Uh, I maybe somebody had that same celebrity experience with me. <laughs> you, you have a, when you do your your book signing, you have arrived. I think mm-hmm. that, that's got to be that's got to be a good feeling. But I I I I, I like the uh, I like the um, attitude that you take about it. I think strange would probably be. Sounds like strange would maybe be a better, a better uh, description yeah, of your yeah. feeling at that at that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah, I mean it's a good strange. It's nice. I mean it kind of tickles the ego a little bit. <laughs> You're like, oh, right, I got a book. Whoa. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I also, it's almost intentional. You know, I have this book uh, or I had this chapter on humility, and I think that's a reminder myself to go like, well, I mean, it's not like. Uh, the the topics that we've discussed here, I mean, I'm only at a certain level as a drummer. I'm only at a certain level as an academic. And so I, you know, I can't sit here and think, well, like now I I need to have a whole bunch of people following me. And I, you know, I'm a big name now. Like I'm still, I think in my own place, I, and, and even the idea of going on the self-publishing route has created a certain humility in me of going, well, like I, I got to stop apologizing to people. Like when people are like, Oh, that's amazing that you did a book. Oh, it's just, it's self-published. And I'm like, no, no, I I did create this book. I put a lot of work into it. I think I have something to say. Um, Maybe that the the self-publishing keeps me humble a little bit, but at the same time, it doesn't diminish the work that I did. And maybe that's a theme that we've talked about here is that, I mean, I may not be the best teacher. I may not be the best drummer. I may not be the best whatever, but it doesn't mean that I'm not useful in in what I'm doing. Um, You know, with the self-publishing, I I wanted to talk about that because, you know, I, I, I said, well, let's just try it. Let's just see how it goes. If this is miserable, well, I just used my time. 
and that's all I, I used in it. Um, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of monetary. I, I, I paid, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest about this. I paid, um, a, a friend of mine to design the cover. Um, the person who um, it's actually Mike Johnston, that, that drummer, that's his, the, the photograph. Hand, that's, his the hand, hand. that's his hand. Um, and so I, I always kind of tell people like, I, I felt kind of sheepish. I asked him, um, and I didn't know, I didn't know if I needed to compensate him or anything for that. And he just said, you can use it. I don't know if he regretted that decision or not. I'll, <laughs> I'll ask him. I'm actually going back to drum camp again. Uh, so I'll ask him if he regretted the decision of letting me use that, that picture. But I mean, I, I invested, I, I, if I would have doing it again, I will probably invest in another editor. I think I had a little bit of a hubris thinking, well, I'm an English professor. I can edit my own work. And as, as any writer knows at a certain point mentally, you just don't see the errors. And so, you, you know, reviewing this several, several times, there are still, someone told me, oh yeah, like you missed, you like you dropped a, like a, a, a two. There was like a, a two that was missing. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> like I read over that sentence like 12 times. Um, so I would probably invest in someone to edit it. But other than that, the, the financial contribution on my end was pretty minimal. And so the process of doing the self-publishing was also kind of like, okay, put myself out there, have this sort of courage to, to try and do something new and different. And you know, so far it's been a good experience and kind of one of the last things I'll say is that, I mean, it, it accomplishes what I wanted to do in writing this book of now I don't have to walk around saying, oh, I got to write a book about that. Like I did write a book about that. If, if I go to a conference, I mean, I really do think professionally, maybe this will something we will shift, but if you self-publish something now, someone can, you know, if I go to a conference and I talk about anything to do with literacy, and I reference my book, people can go and get it. And so they can read more about it. And I always went to these conferences with these half-baked ideas, things that I didn't fully develop. And I'm like, well, I've got this book to reference. And that's not new. People were able to say, well, check out my book that said this. But now for me, it was a very easy way to say, you know, I could, I could self-publish any, I, I, this opens up a door. Now I'm going to write like 20 books <laughs> just easily. And then people will say, I probably won't do that, but, um, <laughs> uh, I, I could just say, you know, refer to my book like, and, and before it wasn't a tangible object and now it, it is something that, that is available to people. Um, so yeah, I could talk probably a few more hours about this, <laughs> but oh, we're reaching probably our time. <laughs> well, you know, this has been a great conversation and a great discussion and, you know, for those of you listening, part-time drummer, learning on different stages and available on Amazon, best place to go and get it. Um, and it's really thought-provoking. So I would strongly encourage you to to take a listen, uh, take a look at. I, I'm going to put an audio book together eventually. You know, that, that popped into my mind and that's probably why I made that, that mistake. But take a look at what Jim has written and maybe in the future take a listen because I think the uh, the ideas and the the suggestions about um, being a professional and living your life are, are great uh, in this book. That is going to do it for this episode. We are hoping we are um, scheduling for our next episode an interview with Jennifer Keating, who is a 
writing in the disciplines professor at the University of Pittsburgh and has written a book um, entitled AI and Humanity. And it will be kind of the third in our series of conversations about AI and in spe and specifically chat GPT. So um, be on the lookout for that one. But I'll be less grumpy. That's, I've, <laughs> I've told myself I'm the grumpy voice about it. I'll just be less grumpy about it. I'll just be comfortable it's it's AI is here to stay and I'm just going to love it. <laughs> I, I will hold you to that. Less grumpy Jim on our next episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. This has been the Being Human UT podcast with Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. From Utah Tech University, this is the Being Human UT podcast.